The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered cold-filtered, and cold-packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Little Wire Prospect Podcast. Clayling here with James Anderson, lead prospect writer at rotowire.com. James, we're going to be taking a look at your latest Farm Futures article. Uh, really good stuff. Kind of looking at players in the 26 through 50 range in your top 400 prospect rankings and looking at how your thinking on them has kind of evolved over the last, well, over the off season, essentially. But James, just to update you and everybody else, crucial update here on my yoga uh, practice. It's going well. I've done it about six of eight days. So it's hitting the mat and feeling pretty good. You know, it, my back's not cracking as much anymore, but I think that's a good sign. Uh, <laughs> it's, you know, it's cracking a lot the first few days. Now it's, it just feels good. Not cracking as much. And I think the pain is kind of the upper back pain has faded a little bit. Uh, I think the I've noticed that I think the core source of the pain is actually my SI joint. I've been doing some research online into why <laughs> bones crack and uh, why it feels good. A lot of theories 
By the way, as to why bones crack, a lot of common accepted answers like, you know, gaseous bubbles popping, tendons snapping over the bone. But it is actually one of the great mysteries of science. Man, you're just (laughs) you're becoming a whole different man with this uh, shutdown. I know. What what have I become, Gene? (laughs) But no, it's crazy. I just. You know, the SI joint's like right, it's kind of like where your butt is. It's like right above your butt, and like it's almost tender to the bone. So, Ryan Hallam of Fantasy Alarm said, You know, I'm too young to have these issues. I I know. I'm preaching to the choir, so I got to get to the bottom of it. Uh, I've been watching some movies. I did watch Tiger King. Um, I'm usually against those kind of trends, but I did watch it. I. I'm watching it. Uh, my wife and I started watching it last night, and I'm very, uh, I'm very interested in parts of it, and I'm very uninterested in other parts of it. And uh, we we haven't finished it yet, but. Um, so how far do you just get? Like one episode in? Uh, I think we got two episodes in. Nice. Was, I mean, it was entertaining uh, for sure. It was wild. I think it's seven seven parts in total. I, my wife was sort of like, well, why aren't there like, why aren't there only crazy people trying to help these tigers? And I was like, because all the, all the smart people are worried about helping human beings. Um, so like, there's yeah, not wanting there's to get only, their like, arms torn off. Right. There's only nut jobs left for trying to take care of the, the tigers. Um, I'll, I mean, they're, yeah. they're not they're not in the, the best of conditions, but I mean, we've got human beings in, in worse conditions than than all those tigers. So um, I'm very I'm, I'm very torn about the the whole thing because it's just uh, it's a world that I never really expected to dive into. But it's it's definitely a, a gripping documentary. I got to admit, too, uh, that has me thinking about getting a cat a little bit. Uh, not a big cat, certainly, but a cat. So yoga, cats, I'm like becoming an old cat guy, an old crazy cat guy already. Um, haven't gone through with the cat thing yet, but I was thinking about it. I like cats. Uh, James, would that be crossing a bridge too far? <laughs> I, I don't think so. I don't think so, man. Uh... I'm just playing. I don't care either way. <laughs> Look, we're all crazy cat people sheltered in our homes right now agoraphobic scared to leave the house it's crazy uh what's new with you though man aside from starting tiger king <laughs> uh really really not a ton uh, <laughs> i've just been bored out of my mind but uh trying to make the best of it i yeah. happily happily able to still write about prospects and shoot the shoot the ass with you so yeah. um Keeping me sane. Yeah, you've done that for me for many years, and I appreciate it and didn't need it, especially this time, uh, you keeping me sane. James, your latest article series is kind of called Rankings, Ranking Dilemmas, and we talked a little bit about it last week, but do you want to explain again kind of what you mean by when you use the word dilemmas here? Yeah, so this isn't, you know, I am updating the top 400 rankings as I release this series. So last week it was one through 25. Uh, this week it's 26 through 50 and I'll be working my way down the top 400 with each ensuing week. And it's basically me sort of, uh, 
trying to pull back the curtain about which prospects, you know, either I just can't get a good read on and therefore I just am never really satisfied where my, where I have them ranked. Um, you know, in, in one case this week, I really sort of went in depth as to why, uh, I'm so much higher on one guy than, than everyone else. But like, while I'm confident about where I have these guys, like it's not like I'm just going in every single day and just moving guys around. Uh, but these are the guys where it's like either I'm just so far out there that there's a little trepidation or maybe the reverse. Like I'm just lower on a guy than a lot of other people. And I sort of explain or try to explain like why I'm low, but also acknowledging like why I could be wrong about being too low or why I could be wrong about being too high. So just kind of the guys where, you know, I don't want to say they keep me up at night, but just sort of the the guys that sort of give me the most uh, trouble when I'm when I'm trying to put together my rankings. Nice. I respect that approach because you're very you know, convicted and you've done your homework. You are firm in your beliefs on these players, but you also have your ear to the ground. You know the other side of the coin, the other argument, and you're willing to consider those and you know that – um, you know, you could be wrong, and you mentioned that you, you know, you might be too low, you might be too high on certain players. I just think it's good to have that transparency. Really fun uh, series. This is part two, so if you missed last week's, go check it out. And this is focusing on the twenty-six through fifty range. This week's article and Jazz Chisholm, the number one guy, he hasn't budged. He's one of the few who hasn't um, really moved much, so he's stuck around. I guess you know he's moved up one spot. But then Noel V. Marte has been a big riser. Um, what is it about him? What did you notice in his skill set over the winter that kind of led you to think, man, I'm, I'm too low on Noel V. Marte? Uh, you know, it's just he's the guy that when, whenever anyone asks me, like the, the most common question I get is just picking who's a guy outside of the top 25 or outside of the top 50 or outside of the top 100 who you think could make the biggest jump. And my answer is pretty much always like if they say who outside the top 50, my answer is usually the guy that's ranked 51. Uh, but like with Marte, he was just always my answer. Uh, back when I had him at 67, you know, when someone would be like, who could make a big jump? I'd be like, no, I'll be Marte. And so then I just kind of kept bumping him up because he was just the most obvious guy where there's just so much upward potential with him and the rankings, uh, you know, it's probably, you know, his hit tools probably if you had to pick a weakest of his tools, you'd probably say that his speed and his power <clears throat> are a bit more alluring than what he might do in terms of batting average. But there's, it's not like, I think he's a guy that's going to hit 240. Uh, I think he could definitely hit 275, maybe even 280. And it's, it's really about the power and the speed because guys that have that type of really high end, you know, like 30, 30 type of potential that those are the guys that end up getting ranked in the top 10 eventually and eventually get into the top five. Uh, and Marte just checks a lot of those boxes, big time pedigree guy, really good body for his age, uh, you know, defensive home, certainly not set in stone but I think he'll be a guy that provides value with his glove. He's not someone that's just going to slide all the way down the defensive spectrum. 
And really with him, it's just we haven't seen him come stateside yet uh, and playing games. But I, I really think he's a guy that's going to hit the ground running whenever the minor league season does get underway. And the, the Mariners, uh, you know, every team tries to pump up their prospects, but um, they, they really have made it clear that they think Marte is following in the, the Julio Rodriguez path in terms of just aggressive assignment after aggressive assignment, loud tools, big time superstar upside. Uh, so I just, every time I would go in and sort of update my rankings, I, I felt like I just kept bumping Marte up because when I was doing some startup dynasty drafts over the off season, he was a guy that I just kept grabbing and, and reaching for uh, because there just aren't a ton of guys that have his combination of upside and lack of flaws. So, he, yeah, he's a long ways away from the majors, but uh, I just I really don't see any reason to be uh, cautious with him. Man, that's a high praise for Noel V. Marte. Yeah, he's on the upswing here in your rankings, and it seems like that upside is really driving it. And that's really what you want with prospects, right? I mean, you, you roster some prospects in Dynasty Leagues for floor, but nobody wants to do that. And... The ceiling is – the massive payoff is really what we're all chasing. Yeah. All, I mean, if you just hit on like a third of those high upside yeah, exactly. guys, you're you're going to be fine. You know, I mean, that, that's how you get the Ronald Acunas and the Wander Francos is, is by chasing that upside. And uh, the guys – like the guys that are going to hit 260 with 25 homers – you know, on draft day in a redraft league, those guys are a dime a dozen. So why push those guys up a prospect list when there's a guy that has first round upside sitting there and he's he's further away from the majors? Yeah, you know, I say that, but I'm thinking of a guy like Lindor, who I kind of thought when he was a prospect. Now I'm not a prospect guru like you, but I kind of thought he was kind of like safe, and I didn't right. see the upside. You know, really good defensively. Um, nobody expected that kind of bloom offense like you know this superstar hitter to blossom but so it can work both ways but i think generally yeah you want to roster for upside the floor is nice and that's kind of what evan white provides we know he's signed that extension and so his eta get, gets moved up but is there something else you see did you th think maybe uh, did your view on evan white's upside maybe change over the winter yeah yeah so i remember uh so let's see. They gave him that that contract uh, in November, late November, and I remember being really upset because I had I think I had just done my deep dive on him for the magazine and kind of realized that he hit another gear a uh, couple months into the season. He just really started raking, really started hitting uh, the way that we want first base prospects to hit. Uh, was hitting for power, was hitting for average, wasn't striking out very much. Uh, premium defensive first baseman as well, so you don't have to worry about him just falling out of a job because of his defense. Uh, and he's hit at some pretty pitcher-friendly parks along the way. So I had gotten, I'd sort of realized, wow, I'm, I'm too low on this guy. I got to bump him way up. And then, of course, like I think like a week later, he signs that deal. And so then it just sort of looked like I bumped him up because he signed that deal. And really, that his him being on a big league contract is 
I don't know, five to 10% of why he's ranked where he is. It's really more about just the, the skill, uh, the floor and the ceiling really with Evan white. Like I, I think, yeah, there's, there's floor because, you know, I think it's, he's a safe bet to hit for a high average. He's going to play every day. Uh, but I think there's, there's more ceiling than I think a lot of people realize with him. Uh, the power is, is more than I think a lot of people, uh, are pegging him as, I mean, he hit, he slugged 548 with 17 home runs in his last 66 games, had a 36.7 hard contact percentage. Is that a triple? Uh, which uh, I think that was just his entire minor league oh, season. Okay. I think that was a, that was a double A uh, mostly. But um, I mean, he that's just he checks man. all because yeah, that's not the triple A juice ball, you know? Right, right. Uh, and he had a good spring too. He had a good spring in big league camp and. You know, one guy that I moved down when I did this this update to correspond with this article is uh, Carter Keeboom, just because I, I don't really see um, a ton of upside. And sometimes what you do in redraft leagues kind of uh, sort of stabilizes your opinion on a guy, right? Like if like if I know that Carter Keeboom is probably going to break camp in the big leagues, but I just have zero interest in him in redraft leagues. Yet, I also think the same thing about Evan White, but I do have mild interest in him. Like, I should probably have White above, uh, like, Keyboom. And, yeah. you know, so I, I think sometimes redraft can, like, if you're not really sure where to put a guy, how you're treating that guy in the short term, as long as you're able to sort of um, keep in mind the, how you view a guy long term, I think that sometimes that can inform uh, some of your decisions. So I, I just, with Evan White, you know, I think in a in a year or two, he he'll probably be a top fifteen fantasy first baseman. Uh, it's a shallow position, and hopefully, in a year or two, he's hitting I don't know second or third, and and Jared Kalanick and Julio Rodriguez are sitting are hitting right in front of him, right behind. That's uh, that's an interesting case you make for for White because I've looked at him for so long and just see that you know that floor and you know it's nice, but. Is this another like Eric Hosmer type hitter who's you know one fifty ish perennially overall? But I think you know there probably is some some hidden upside that I hadn't seen before, and I think that adjustment makes well, a lot of sense. It's so funny that you bring up Eric Hosmer because when he was a prospect, I mean it was all about the ceiling with Eric yeah, Hosmer, right, right. you know, <laughs> like like That's so, so like funny, yeah. it it's like with with. Lindor, when he was a prospect, it was all about the floor. When Hosmer was a prospect, it was a combination of floor and ceiling. But, I mean, nobody thought Eric Hosmer had a low ceiling. Um, So it's just – I think it's very important to always point that out with prospects where uh, some guys get labeled as high floor, low floor, high ceiling, low ceiling. Uh, A lot of times it doesn't pan out the way that the kind of consensus forms on a guy as a prospect. Um and that that applies to a few guys that are that are in this twenty six to fifty range. Yes, that is very wise to keep in mind and point out because, well, for one, we, you know, we, we do research and look into this, but these players are dynamic. They're changing. Their skill sets are changing. They're changing physically, um, and yeah, we we don't know. We can't read the future, so it's interesting to look back and and you know remember some lessons learned from from past. Um, prospect evaluations and then how things came to fruition. Jordan Groshan's just a small move up. Dustin May moving up 
18 spots. We've talked about how each prospect, you kind of have to take a case-by-case with this truncated season, likely. What do you think with May? Does it benefit him? Do you think the Dodgers are more inclined to um, use him? Or do you think because they sent him down, like they may only have to dip in and use him, you know, maybe 10 times all year? Uh, well, yeah, for, first I just want to say like when, when you, when you say like, yeah, Dustin may moved up 18 spots, that's from where I had him on, uh, October 1st. Yes. I don't, people that think I just, just moved him up 18 spots, but, um, yeah, I, I don't think it helps me. I think it probably hurts him because, you know, they had a full rotation to begin with. Alex Wood was going to open the year in the rotation. Uh, I mean, they, they had a pretty loaded rotation without Dustin May. And the idea was that eventually May was going to come in whenever somebody got hurt. But now there's less season uh, for a guy to get hurt. And a guy like Alex Wood might just be able to pitch at a high level over a three-month span. And that covers the full season. And, uh, you know, probably somebody will get hurt at some point. But I think uh, this is really going to um, – make guys that can eat three to four innings out of the bullpen uh, that big league teams are going to value those guys. I think more in a condensed season where there's going to be a lot of double headers. And I think may would be a perfect kind of swing man type of guy to, to occupy that type of role, uh, whether he opens in the minors or the majors, it's just, there's not a clear spot for him right now. So the shorter the season is, I think the, the less value those guys that were without a job have. Yeah, I think that's right. And depending on how many doubleheaders there are, maybe he ends up making you know similar number of starts. You know, if there's a weekly doubleheader, maybe he starts a fair amount. But I'm more looking at Dustin May right now as a 2021 guy. Uh, just yeah, on that team, yeah, I want him to be starting. I guess if he's pitching three or four, he could fall into some wins in relief. But you're not really using that guy in a mixed league if, that, if that's his role. Sixto Sanchez also on the rise since October. Uh, proximity here, pretty close, and Sixto's kind of won you, won you back a little bit. Yeah, and my my main concern with him uh, has just been you know how well, or, or how well is he going to hold up? Like, how, when's he going to need Tommy John surgery, just given how hard he throws and everything, and uh, he's not a slight guy, but he, he's also not huge. Um, but really what, what won me over is the fact that he, he stayed healthy all last season. Miami had a plan with him. They held him back in extended spring training and let him finish strong, really kind of let him like took the training wheels off over the final few months. And he had <laughs> over his final 47 and the third innings, eight starts last year he had a era under one and a whip under 0.8 uh so just utterly dominant he he's in that same sort of mold as dustin may casey mize where he's a run producer for or a run preventer first and a strikeout artist second but I don't really mind that that much. I mean, I think eventually there will be more strikeouts for Sixto. He's probably going to end up with three-plus pitches. Uh, fastball and changeup are probably 70-grade pitches already. Command is really good for a guy who throws as hard as he does. He really knows how to pitch. Like He's not just a, a thrower out there. And I like the team context for him. I like him pitching in that park. Uh, I like the fact that he's in the National League. 
So yeah, I, I don't really have any concerns with Sixto other than just the typical he's a pitching prospect, he could get hurt any minute type of thing. Yeah, and he's dealt with was that a forearm he dealt with for a while? Did he actually in um, he finished twenty eighteen on a on a bad note. Yeah. Uh where he's he, healthy again uh, now at least, it looks like right. Yeah. You never so know with the, the pitching prospect they could break right. at any time. And I like the and the Marlins you know, these teams are handling these guys very carefully. Uh, the Marlins weren't going to have him pitch at all this spring, which I think is makes sense to me. I mean, he he didn't. It's not like he got up to 125 innings last year and was going to get to 175 this year. I think uh, not having him pitch in the spring, sending him to AAA, basically making that his spring training, and then eventually bringing up to the big leagues. If we'd had a normal season, I think we would have seen him in June or July. Uh, so they're saving those bullets as much as they can for. Uh, the big leagues, and I think that that'll hopefully pay off. Very nice. Uh, Michael Kopech hasn't really budged. Nate Pearson, you've moved up, but you still go on to caution in this article that you may still be too low on him. Do you want to explain your your thinking, including Nate Pearson, among those you might be too low on still? Yeah, I, I mean, I just lay out everything I like about him, everything I don't like about him, and the stuff I don't like about him for the most part is kind of just <laughs> by no fault of his own. I mean, I, if he were to just stay relatively healthy over the next few years, then I'll be too low. And it's, it's just a situation where I'm struggling to find an example of guys who have thrown as hard as he does and have avoided Tommy John surgery in recent years, uh, which is kind of depressing, but uh, that's, you know, I'm, I'm ranking guys based on how much I would want to own them in dynasty leagues, and that's something that I'm factoring in with Nate Pearson. It, it would be great. I'd love to be wrong about it. If I'd, I'd rather him stay healthy than be be right about him being an injury risk. But uh, you know, as soon as he if, if he gets Tommy John surgery like a year from now, then him being ranked like say 15th overall, that's going to look bad and. If he goes the next few years and never really has a major injury, then having him ranked where I have him in the mid thirties is going to look bad. So um, that's that's what worries me with Pearson is like if he stays healthy, then I'm going to be wrong about where I have him ranked. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I, we've also just seen that with Cindergard, you know, and uh, Hunter Green, my my guy in the Reds. It's just when you throw that hard, it is hard to avoid that procedure. It's like. Uh, can you think of guys? I guess I mean some relievers, I'm sure, but starters who throw that hard, man, it just seems like an I mean, inevitability. Yeah, like Michael Kopech, Jose Fernandez, yeah, like when Steven Strasburg first came up, Alex uh, Reyes, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Luis Severino. I mean, there's exactly. Yeah. It's depressing, but it's just a fact of life. Casey Mize, we talked about it. The shortened season probably hurting him. Maybe fully delaying his arrival till twenty twenty one. Alec Bohm, another guy you mentioned, you may be too low on still, and you have raised him up. I don't know what to make of him either, but I do think the power will play. You still have concerns about the hit tool. I just I just can't get a good read on him. Uh, I really the only times when the power has played and he's hit for a high average was when he was twenty two at high at high A. Uh, so a little ultra high A. And then when he was 23 in the Arizona Fall League, which is a great place to hit, that doesn't mean that 
those two stops weren't a legit representation of what's to come from him. But what he did at double A concerns me because he really did most, if not like all of his damage in Reading, which is a notorious hitters park. And he was a 22 year old at double A and was pretty mediocre on the road. Uh, so he looks like a guy that should hit for a ton of power, but even in batting practice, he didn't like stand out to me. It's not like when all those guys took AFL batting practice, it wasn't like, Oh wow, look at Baum. Like, look at him just drive the ball with authority while the rest of these guys are, are struggling to do it, you know, hit a, hit a super far way. I mean, he was just kind of one of the guys. Wasn't anything uh, like when you saw Gallo on the field? No, no, no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not, not I don't even, think you've ever seen anything the, like that. Not even in the same uh, universe area code. Yeah, I yeah. mean it, it was very different from that. Uh, so I, to me, it's kind of more like plus game power, hopefully. And I think there's a chance for a plus hit tool. I mean, his contact rate is so much better than you would think it would be, just given how big he is. Uh, but I think part of the reason why the power and the batting average haven't necessarily synced up at every stop is that he might be sacrificing some game power to maintain that contact rate. And so I just, I think it's possible it just ends up being like 55 game power and 55 hit tool, or maybe, maybe 50 hit tool and plus power, maybe plus hit tool and 55 power. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I, like I said, as you can tell by my rambling, I just, I can't really get a good feel for what I expect from him. And when I have that much uncertainty, I'm just not going to rank a guy crazy high. So I, I think having him in the thirties to me is not a, a front to Alec Bohm, but I know a lot of people have him higher. I like that approach. You don't want to just go with the pack and, rank a guy high and give him that vote of confidence when you just don't know. And so I think this ranking reflects some of that uncertainty there with Alec Bohm. Joey Bart, toward the end of draft season, quote-unquote draft season, before camp was suspended, we talked a little bit about Bart and how I, I thought it was kind of surprising how much redraft love he was getting. Two-team, two-catcher, you know, two-catcher, 15-team leagues, he was getting drafted, it seemed like, in in most of those. Um, but then when I thought about it, looked into it a little more, it did sound like they were looking at giving him a promotion late in the year. What do you think about Bart now with the shortened season likely? Does that delay him, do you think? Yeah, I don't I don't really see any reason for the Giants to start his clock in a shortened season. He He's kind of in that Jared Kalanick group, right, of yeah. – of, guys that are close to big league ready on rebuilding teams where over 162 games it would be really kind of uh, (laughs) a bad move uh, for the player team relationship for them to keep those guys down the entire season but in a shortened season it's much more palatable for the team and the player I think it's just like well look I mean Maybe by maybe with twenty games left in the season, it looks like you're ready. But why are we going to bring you up for those final twenty games or whatever? Yeah, when there's nothing to play for, and yeah, there's just it's kind of like the season's going to be uh, a little bit of a wash. It seems like I'm still holding out hope, but it's 
uh, dwindling by the day. Clark Schmidt's another guy who gets affected by this uh, situation. Him for a little bit different reason. Like it's just that the other Yankee starters will have time to to get healthy, or at least that's in theory what should happen. Yeah, it's bad for Clark Schmidt too, just because, uh, you know, like you said, those guys, James Paxton, will probably be healthy, and that gives them five healthy starters. Uh, Jordan Montgomery had, had won a spot in camp, so I think it's very encouraging, uh, or at least the the way the Yankees handled their uh, pitching prospects in spring training tells us pretty clearly. I think that they they view Schmidt as as the cream of the crop in their own system uh, with them sending Davey Garcia and Michael King down and keeping Schmidt and big league camp. Uh, so, I mean, that that's good. I mean, they clearly view him as a big part of their not so distant future plans, but I think for 2020, probably unlikely that he makes much of a fantasy impact, but I think 2021, like he'll be the type of guy where people will be drafting and stashing, I think in, in 2021. Yeah, I think as people should be, you know. We're already thinking about 2021 stashes. I love it. Uh, it's never not stashing season here. It's on 2021 show. stashing season. <laughs> I love it. Now, Tyler Freeman's a player who you've lowered, but you still caution you maybe a little too high on him. You just you can't uh, completely bring talk yourself down on Tyler Freeman. No. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I don't even, I'm not even really that worried about being too high on him. Like I'm very confident in my evaluation of Freeman, but he'll be the type of guy, like he will be the guy where if I'm wrong about him, everyone will know that I was wrong about him because of how far out on, on an island I am. And everyone, and like, there'll just be a ton of sub tweets of people being like, Man, I just never really understood why people thought Tyler Freeman was a good fantasy player. Oh, prop. yeah. I can see those now. <laughs> um, Remember so when like that, people thought Tyler Freeman was going to be yeah, a thing? Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, exactly. In Twitter yeah. speak, yeah. I can totally right, see. right. Like lots of, lots of subtweeting. Snarky um, subtweeting. So, yeah. yeah, so I'm really I'm – not, I'm not concerned about where I have him. I'm just aware of the fact that if I'm wrong about him, uh, everyone will – be like, yeah, James was super wrong about Tyler Freeman. So yeah. um, that's, I basically felt like I had to include him as the guy just because he's probably the guy that most people, I get the most questions about in terms of why are you so high on him. And so I just wanted to lay it out as best as I could. Just this is why I'm high on him. This is why you're wrong to think that he's a slap hitter. This is the type of player I think he's going to become. Uh, so yeah, I just felt like I sort of owed it to the subscribers to really sort of explain my Tyler Freeman love. I like it. You know, you're laying it all out there. You're laying the cards down and, um, I respect it because you've, you've got quite a track record. So I'm going to take your, um, take you at face value on Tyler Freeman. Another guy you said you might be, uh, too high on Jose Arquiti. This is a bummer for me because I'm kind of on big things from Arquiti. We throw some cold water on, on my love for Akiti here for a second. Well, I, I can't really, uh, this, this was not a good, the 26 to 50 range was not a good range for me to find a pitcher that really fit this bill. Uh, like I, yeah, some people would probably expect me to put Clark Schmidt there, but as I said, like, I just, 
the only thing I worry about with Clark Schmidt is whether I should keep moving him up by rankings, not whether I should lower him any. So I had to pick a pitcher. I picked Urquidy just because he's another guy where, like, I, I try not to. I don't really look at other lists, but like even when you're just like on a guy's baseball reference page, you'll see like where they rank and stuff like that right. uh, at other sites. And for whatever reason, Urquidy just doesn't get much respect from other rankers. And I understand why to, to a point, like he lacks pedigree. He doesn't have a traditional build for a right-handed starter. Uh, he doesn't have that super electric arsenal where you're just posting all kinds of gifts and stuff like that. Um, but I really, I think if you just look at, if you evaluate him for what we're expecting in the immediate, like what we'd be expecting for 2020, and then you just lay out, you know, this is his fastball. This, these are his secondaries. This is his command. Uh, I think all of that stuff points to him being, a middle of the top 100 guy. I just think, you know, some people are really slow to come around on the pop-up guy. And part of that is because pop-up guys will burn you. Um, but I think you have to evaluate each guy individually and say, yeah, this is a pop-up guy, but how real is it? Why, why might it not be real? Um, you know, I think like Zach Gallen is a is a good example of this where those who are quick to sort of take a dive in and see why gallon was having so much success early last year uh were rewarded for bumping him up rankings whereas those yeah. that sort of took more of like a wait and see approach with him uh they were burned slash they didn't help anyone out with where they had him ranked uh Urquidy, i think you you have to evaluate him in just by himself and say yeah this guy wasn't ranked anywhere going into 2019 but what what does he have what's his repertoire like do we think he's going to have success going forward to me the answer is yes yeah those past prospect rankings and reports just you know part of the puzzle it's not the you know anything definitive and i get it pop-up guys can burn you see aris mendy alcantara but they can also push you over the hump. If you get a guy like Gallon or you get a guy like Rikiti, uh can move the needle, and that's that's big for you. Um, I'm looking at Rikiti, and I love the prize. I, I couldn't understand why in redraft he wasn't higher because he was so good in the postseason. They basically said he had a rotation spot locked up. like He wasn't even competing for a spot. And at least when we were assuming 162 games, it didn't look like he'd have really any major workload restrictions, right? No, I mean, I mean like 180 I, I, innings ish. Yeah, I, I thought he could have gotten up to 175, 185. I mean, that, yeah, um, that's what kind of separates him from the. I mean, I the skills of a guy like Lazardo are, are better, but I, I just well, couldn't believe like people weren't projecting him, for, uh, weren't projecting Arquiti for more innings. Yeah, I mean, it, in a full 162 game season, I think Arquiti was. Uh, a really good value where he was going in drafts, but <clears throat> the shorter the season gets, the less distance there is between him and those other guys that weren't going to throw as many innings. So, true, um, yeah. Urquidy's probably more valuable for over 2021's suspected full season than a, a condensed 2020 season, but he's still a guy that should be rostered in all formats. 
Well, before we move on to the final hip-hop portion of the show here, James, anything else you want to mention from this article? Really good stuff here. Any final thoughts on your latest farm futures? Uh, there's one guy who is um, probably notably absent from this 26 to 50 range. Uh, that is Nick Madrigal, who I will include in next week's article, but uh, just wanted to, to note that that was not a accidental omission. I know that I'd had him, I think, like in the 30s or something on the last update. Uh, he's just a guy that I – he's sort of the opposite case of Urquidy and Evan White, where I knew he was – going to be in the majors for the majority of this season and yet i just really had no interest in him in drafts and so like that kind of tells me yeah maybe you shouldn't have this guy ranked in, in your top 40 if if he's basically big league ready and you don't want him in, in your reach athletes mm. so uh yeah uh nick madrigal is a faller and he will be in next week's article wow that's yeah outside of the top 50 huh uh, maybe we could talk more about that on tomorrow's Farm Friday, or I guess that's what – that's Friday. That's not tomorrow. But uh, maybe we could talk about that more because uh, – doesn't Keith Law – I thought I saw something. But Keith Law really doesn't like him either, right? Did you, did you seen something about that? Uh, I haven't read what Keith has written or seen where he has him ranked, but – I just saw uh, some tweet about Keith Law not really liking him, so – um, I mean, it's not, it's not a knowledge on the. It's, the it's not a controversial like like yeah. being low being low on Nick Madrigal is, uh, and I or is a hill that I think it it could be smart to to die on. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I don't think that that's a controversial take necessarily. It's for might fantasy, be, so, like five by, Well, yeah, yeah right. I, I think yeah. it, maybe it's a bit more controversial for real life, which which is what Keith's rankings are for. But um, I get it. I mean, if, if, if you think a guy's got 20-grade power, uh, there's hard a case to make for that plenty low. You know? Yeah, hard to make that fit in today's era. Major League Baseball, really good stuff. I recommend checking that article out, rotowire.com slash pod for a free 10-day trial. If you don't have a subscription James, I believe you're up, correct? You were up in the hip-hop draft. Well, by the way, we did submit our um, – oh, I did the West Coast. You did the East Coast for the hip-hop bracket to determine the best album of all time. Caught a lot of flack for not including Kendrick, and um, you, you forewarned me on that. I, I told some people I'll revisit it, <laughs> but I'm just not over the moon with it. Uh, I'm also stuck in the 90s, as I talked about last week. Um, but I thought, you know, that's that's why there were checks and balances in the process. It made it in. And I believe it's going to be all eyes on me against To Pimp a Butterfly, which I think is the matchup of the first round, the matchup of the round of 64. Yeah, uh, it's been a few days uh, since I saw any of those matchups uh, go down. Um, yeah, me too. Maybe he gave up at, on it. <laughs> at the Statcast era, Adam, um, is, uh, where those would be. Uh, but um, I mean, I the feedback was all great. I mean, I, I for the most part, you know, I think everyone understands that music is very subjective, yeah. and so that you just run into so many stuff. You know, when you're when you're going through an exercise like this, where you have multiple people picking like 
you know, what they think are the best albums. Like, I think it's better to do what you did and just kind of go mostly on like what you actually believe than to just throw an album you haven't listened to on there just to keep people happy. Um, but like, I, I mean, I, I regretted some of my picks after getting all that feedback. Um, like I, I regretted not including something, uh, from Lauren Hill. I, I could have included her, her, uh, Miseducation of Lauren Hill, or I could have included the score by the Fugees. I, I probably should have included the score. Uh, I had a little bit of remorse. Uh, somebody called me out for having Purple Haze as the Cameron album instead of Diplomatic Immunity. I think that that's a very legitimate gripe uh, that I kind of wish I had back, or might, maybe I just wouldn't have included a Dipset album uh, at all, but. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of the feedback we got definitely was good feedback that I, that maybe if I'd seen it all before I released my bracket, I might've done a few things a little different. Yeah. Appreciate everybody chiming in. I think, well, I haven't seen, I'm looking to see when this, you know, round of 64 is getting underway. I don't know. Maybe he is because, you know, he got sick of getting tagged and people complaining that Kendrick (laughs) wasn't on there. He just gave up, but hopefully not. Uh, but I had fun with that. Um, I, people who were complaining, I feel like, how many albums of my 16 have they actually heard? Like four of them? Um, so whatever, do your homework. Uh, but it is all subjective. <laughs> it is fun. James, who are you picking, though, in the hip-hop draft today? Uh, this is tough. Because um, last week I went Guru and you went Who? Jay-Z. Jay-Z, that's right. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I am debating whether to go with a producer or whether to go with a lyricist. And I, I think I'm going to just follow my board and go with a lyricist. Um, and that lyricist is going to be Q-Tip. I do like Q-Tip. Did not listen to much of his solo stuff. I remember Vibrant thing. I think that was what it's called. Vibrant. Yeah, that's Um, that's the single from his. Yeah, I remember that. Most popular studio. I really like Tribe, though. So even though the solo, you can't take a group anyway. You couldn't take all Tribe. So uh, I like that pick. I'm assuming, like, I'm, I'm counting his entire body of work. Sure, like, I'm, yeah. I'm not taking him on the strength of his solo stuff alone. But you I'm would pick- take try, like, if you could take a group, obviously. Sure, yeah, you yeah. That like collective a, unit. Yeah, but I, I get all of his verses and all of his, uh, all of his uh, con- contributions to the the tribe stuff. Uh, yeah. So I feel like that's um, a, <laughs> a justifiable pick. Uh, I think he's got. Uh, really a ton of classic material um, was a pretty good producer too. I actually didn't realize how much production work he, he was responsible for until I watched that uh, hip hop documentary on uh, Netflix. Um, uh, Q-Tip figures pretty prominently into that. Um, so I definitely respect the guys that do the production and the, the lyricism. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think Q-Tip is one of the more unique uh, guys out there. Um, mm-hmm. I almost, I almost feel like Q-Tip is sort of 
what people like kind of wish Andre 3000 was or what they sort of think on, of Andre 3000 as, as this super Ooh, eclectic I like guy. That take. I like that take. Uh, I love Andre 3000 too. Um, yeah, but yeah, I think, I think Q-tip is Q-tip's the man and I'm taking him with my seventh pick. I'll admit I'm a little surprised to see Q-tip going that high, but I can't, can't knock it. Go get your guy, and that's fine with me. I'm going to take another guy who, uh, like you said, you know those those dual threats on both sides of the ball. The guys who can rap and produce. I got to go with Dr. Dre. Pairing him up with RZA. Yeah, I uh, I was thinking about producer spot. Doing, I was thinking about taking Dre just to snipe you, but yeah, I I thought he was gone for sure when I passed on him. My, my plan my plan of uh, I'm treating producer like I would treat catcher in, in a fantasy draft and um, <laughs> I'm just I I know I can get a solid option late so you're treating um, it how I'm treating dirty south it's just it's just <laughs> plethora of options you don't need to force it right right plus right, plethora yeah. of fine options yeah fine <laughs> worst case scenario I end up with like DJ Premier and Kanye West as my producer like yeah. whatever Maybe you'd compare it to like shortstop instead of catcher, but Oh yeah, uh, yeah, no, that's a that's a much better <laughs> yeah. I just was thinking like comparing yeah, um Yeah. Dirty South to catchers. Like I had to catch myself on that and walk that one back. But um <laughs> I guess yeah. I guess we got to um I I gotta give the the song, I guess, for Oh yeah, uh, I gotta get YouTube. you I gotta get you a drink. Um, my so many to choose from. I'm actually going to take a tribe song, uh, jazz, um, in parentheses, we've got the jazz, uh, by a tribe called quest off of the low end theory. Uh, could have gotten a a number of different ways, but I I love his flow on that song. Nice. You know, Dre, I think he fell because he only has those two studio albums, basically, right? Like two solo studio albums. But you add an NWA and all those classic Death Row compilations yeah. and features and songs he produced on other albums. He has two celebrated studio albums. He's released. He's released uh, at least one or two more. I know he released like uh, Aftermath or something. Yeah, there's the Aftermath that flopped, and then um, he released what was it what was the one he he released one like four years ago oh, or something yeah I, basically was sort of the detox but he just didn't call it that um and nobody really cared about it compton uh, yeah maybe compton. yeah he did have detox too but yeah you had those old no limit or not no limit uh death row albums to the mix here and he's I think a steal at this point in the draft. I'm going to go yeah. with, for his song, Keep Their Heads Ringing. Nice. Yeah, I mean, it, I was going to say, like, all of, like, 50 Cent and Eminem and The Game yeah. and, like, all of those guys' best work was produced by Dre, uh, some Kendrick, you know, obviously all tons of Snoop Dogg, tons of, tons of just, like, random awesome beats from, like, the mid-2000s, early-2000s. And then obviously all the death row stuff. Um, yeah, I mean that's that's an awesome pick. It was more of a strategy move yeah. by me. Now now I can basically wait till the last two picks to take two awesome producers. Yeah, Dre's kind of like 
Corey Seager, somebody like this, just gets lost in the shuffle at a deep position. I'm happy to pair him up in a producer spot. Keep Their Heads Ringing was a great song, by the way. That Friday soundtrack really slept on and underrated. I loved that Friday soundtrack. Uh, James, really good stuff. I appreciate it. I'm picking first next week, so I got I got some thinking to do. There's a couple names that are fighting for that next draft spot. James, anything else you want to mention before we sign off? Nah, man. Uh, this was fun, and yeah. uh, we'll talk in uh, a couple days for the radio show. Sounds good. And you guys all be safe. Hopefully, you know, separate yourselves and take care. We'll talk to you next week on the Roadwire Prospect Podcast. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.